In James chapter 3, we're going to be looking at James's teaching on the taming of the tongue. It starts out, of course, warning, don't all of you become teachers. Apparently, there was a, that was a thing. And then he goes on to show how the tongue sets the direction for our life. We're going to see how we can bring this under control or tame it. It's the word that he uses as we uh, look at these verses here in James chapter 3. Now last week we were looking at faith that is alive, not dead, is based on what it does to back it up. It has to back up what it declares. Just because your faith declares something doesn't mean that it backs it up. So we're going to be talking some about the 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 uh, tongue and the voice. We have to remember, keep this in mind. Faith that is alive is not dead based on what it does to back up what it declares. So he's bringing in the, the speaking aspect to it right there. So if you say to a brother in need, be warm and be filled, but don't do anything to back it up, your words are empty. And so we're going to go on and expand on that here in verse 1 of chapter 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, you remember Paul said, you ought to be teachers. <laughs> so, how come Paul's saying, y'all ought to be teachers, and James says, don't many of you do that? Well, I think Paul is talking about it from the standpoint of, on an individual basis, we should be able to teach the things that we walk in, not necessarily stand in the office or the place of a teacher. If um, there are people who take that on, but as we know with the gifts and the callings of God, there's a grace that comes along with it. As long as you have the grace, then you will have the anointing to bear the responsibility that comes in. But if not, it's not a good place to be. You don't want to get into there. So he's saying, not, don't let many of you become teachers, apparently, as the church was dispersing and they were getting out amongst the, the folks where they were at, they decided that, well, we know more of the word than the people that are here, so we'll teach them. And so they began to teach, and he's letting them know, he says, look, don't, don't be jumping in that. Just because you know more than the people that are there doesn't mean that you're in the office of a teacher. You can still do like Paul said and, and talk to them about the, the word and help them out with that, but don't necessarily stand in that office. Of course, if you're called to that office, you better not stay away from it. My brother, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Why would anyone do something in which you receive a stricter judgment? And it just goes down to whatever it is that you're called to do, there's just something in you that wants to do it. You look at uh, people, uh, athletes. Why in the world do they want to get on a stage in which they're on camera, on TV, and everyone's watching them and constantly people criticize them. Why would they want to do that? Because there's something in them to, to go in that direction. If you don't have that in you, then those things will, will wear you down. So if it's in you, you're going to go through with it. Of course, if a teacher is called to a teacher and they don't step into that role, they avoid it. Well, there's also a judgment that comes upon them for that. So just do what God tells you to do. And you'll be in good shape. Follow after the Spirit. Don't be in fear. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now people a lot of times like to, to say, well, I didn't mean to say that. Well, I said something I shouldn't have said. And this is generally what gets us in trouble. We get in, in trouble by the things that we say not by the things that we don't say. I tied this into uh, someone I know who was into uh, uh, radio, and they would talk about things in the early days when they were doing things with uh, spinning music, playing a DJ on the, on the radio. And he would say, you never get people to turn off the radio based on what you don't play. They turn off the radio based on what you do. So if they don't like a particular song and you play that song, they hear it, oh, I don't like this song, and they flip over to another station. But if you didn't play their favorite song, they don't know that you didn't play that favorite song, and they may still keep listening, hoping that they hear whatever that might be. So they're just uh, 
words of wisdom I've picked up, but it's, it's, it's the things that we say. We're better off if we keep our mouth shut than if we open it and say something that we don't want to say. Sometimes you just got to put the brakes on. And even letting people know, well, I want to say something here. Don't do that. That's about the same thing. Just don't let it, if you want to say something and, and you, you're not sure if you should or not, don't bother with it. Do we ever see Jesus say, I want to say something to you guys, but I'm going to hold back. No, he never said that. If there was something to be said to people, whether it was strong, whether it was caring, whether it was what we would consider to be loving, nice, all those things. If he had something to say to the Pharisees, he said it. Because he wouldn't say anything that God didn't tell him to say. You can say some things that are harsh, at least they seem harsh, but if they're by the inspiration of God, they will help the people that are there. But if you say with malice in your heart, it's not going to help anybody. you got to still have that love that happens. So be careful of the things that we say. If we can bridle those things, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. The more of a need you have to talk, the more difficult this scripture is going to be. That just mean we ought to go out there and be, be silent people. But um, we do have to be careful of the things that we say. Now, all this probably means that James was a respected teacher. There are some other highly respected teachers that we can think of in the Word of God. There's Peter, there's Paul, Barnabas, John, Apollos. He was some. As I was looking over this uh, a list to compile here, I thought of Priscilla and Aquila. We hear them mentioned a number of times in Scripture. Do you know we are never told what they do? We're never told whether they're a prophet, prophetess, apostle, evangelist, teacher. We're never told what it is that their role might be. We, we see them involved. We see that they pulled Apollos aside and they corrected him on some things, but... Uh, and Paul left them in places to do some things, but we're never really told this is what they do. So they may have been teachers, but they may not have been. We don't know. But there were many in the day who were uh, great teachers, and maybe some of them looked at those and they desired to to follow into that. Of course, you need to operate in the gift that you have. Don't operate in another's. There were many unqualified, self-appointed people who were appointing themselves to the role of a teacher in James' day. And so he said, don't let many of you become teachers. Now he says, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Knowing that we, those who become teachers, will receive a stricter judgment. It would seem that even those that are not called to be, to be teachers who'd assume the role are falling under the same judgment. We gotta keep that in mind. Go after the thing that God called you to do. Because if God gave you a talent and you go out there and bury it, that doesn't work out so well either. We gotta, we gotta keep putting it into, putting it out there, but don't go taking somebody else's talent and say, oh, I'm just gonna operate in that. For we all stumble in many things. Now the words here, many things, come from the exact same word that's in verse one that says many. It's the Greek word palas. It means uh, many things. It's, I mean, it's, it's pretty much uh, what we see right there. It's used quite often in, in Scripture. It's not one of those things you only see pop up here in a, a few. For we all stumble in many things. There are, there are many things that come up that cause us to stumble, but it sure seems that our, our words cause a lot of it. We may stumble in many things, but most have their roots in our words, the things that we say. In verse 3, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. We all, all know this example real well. And most of us can picture this, even if we haven't ridden a horse. And um, anybody ever ridden a horse before? A couple of people. Anybody ever ridden a horse bareback? 
Okay, you got one, two, didn't know. I've ridden them both ways. And whenever you ride on bareback, you don't have a bit. So the horse has to be, I think they, I think they call it mane trained, where you just grab hold of the, the very base of the mane and you just pull one way or the other and, and, uh, the horse knows to, to listen to it. Now you don't have as much control as you would with one with a bit because that kind of, <laughs> he may not want to go a certain direction, but because you are pulling on that, that creates a lot of pain and, um, They'll, they'll go that way. That pulling on that hair, that don't cause a whole lot of pain. That's just uh, letting the horse know, hey, I want to go this way. Okay. <laughs> he, he's going to submit to it. But we can get that picture even if we haven't actually ridden on a horse because we've seen, for on our day, we've seen movies with people and horses. You know, John Wayne's out there with the with the horse and other other people hop up on them horses and we get to see him in the church. Maybe you saw some gospel bill. And he had some horses going on. But we can, we can envision these things, we can picture it, but of course in their day, the horses were very much around. And they had a, a first-hand scene of these things. And so I can see this, alright, there's this huge animal, a lot of strength in that animal, and this one little thing controls it. Then we look at the big ship, and this one little rudder tells that thing which way it's gonna go, and how this thing is gonna get guided. So those are the examples that he likes to use. Look at also the ships. Although they are so large and are dri- driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Now you know that you are controlled by your spirit when your spirit controls your tongue. That's how you can find out for sure how much your spirit controls you by how much your spirit controls your tongue. If your flesh gets hold of your tongue on a regular basis, you don't have to wonder which uh, which direction this is. Your tongue, your tongue will tell you. And if we say things, well, God wouldn't have said that. Then something else got a hold of your your tongue. Something else got a hold of the control and set the direction. Now, both of these examples he gives are directional. The horse, it sets a direction. The ship, it sets a direction. Your tongue will set the direction for where you go. He has established this in the previous chapters. Your tongue will establish the direction in which you're going to go. When you say certain things, when things come out of your mouth, the devil wants to inspire your tongue. He wants to get us to speak evil about our neighbors, to speak evil about our spouses, to speak evil about our family members, to speak evil about our friends, to speak evil about those we go to church with, to speak evil about those we see on TV. Whatever we can do. If we, if you've ever been around some people that are Christians, at least they, they call themselves such, and maybe you were flipping around on a channel sitting there watching, and some preacher came on. Oh, I know about him. He's a fraud. She's a fraud. And what in the world inspired them to have to say that? Why, why do we have to say anything at all? Because the enemy knows we need to set your direction. So as often as possible, the enemy is going to try and get you with your mouth to set a direction against the things of God. To go in a direction away from the things of God. God may have wanted blessings to come into their life from this particular person. But they shut it down because of the, the things with their mouth. They won't receive any revelation from them. They won't hear anything from them because every time they see them, they just see them glance up there on the, on the, um, on the screen. And what do they got to do? Oh, that Creflo dollar. He's just a scoundrel. And they begin to say things like this. Well, they're not going to receive anything from Creflo dollar. They're not going to see, when, when Fred Price was here, I know people would say that about him. I remember he was uh, uh, talking about the uh, a special they did on, on one of those news shows. I don't know which one, 60 Minutes or uh, one of those things. They actually just focused in on him and just uh, labeled him a fraud and, and tried to do great damage to him. And uh, he mentioned that he they were able to turn it around, but that was a tough time in his life when they had uh, when they had done this. And especially since, I remember hearing him talk about it, and that's not new to anybody, is it? He he talked about it in a, a few things that I had uh, listened to him on, and he 
expressed how difficult that was that all the nation had heard this stuff and he said, they never even called me. They didn't ask me these things. They just went on the air and they said all this this stuff about him. And that was very difficult for, for him. And because of the words that they spoke, that caused a lot of people to to uh, decide ahead of time, well, Brother Price is this or Brother Price is that and we're not going to receive from that. And that's a shame because... <laughs> In my lifetime, he's one of the most dynamic preachers I was ever under. I just thoroughly enjoy, enjoyed him and can't wait to, whenever I find something, oh, I don't think I've ever heard this one, or at least I haven't heard it in a while, and I'll sit there and listen to it again because I just love the way that he approaches the Word and the way he brings it out. And I, I think about it and says, all these people, they totally turned that off. Brother Hagin had the same thing. People would write things about him and they would say things and then they wouldn't receive. And I said, boy, what a what a shame that all this wisdom was out there and they didn't get a chance to, to glean off of that because of words that were said. But it's not just these people will take these words in. They have to declare them. And you'll constantly hear them declare them. Oh, that brother Price. Oh, that brother Hagen. Oh, that brother Copeland. Oh, that brother whoever. Jerry Savelle. Uh, um, Creflo Dollar. I'm just naming people for you. But those just start talking about that. Oh, they're a fraud. Oh, they're no good. Oh, they're false doctrine. And, uh, and so forth. And, it's a shame. But that's what they'll do. That's what the enemy wants to try and do. He wants you to set a wrong direction with your mouth. Because it will guide where you're going to go. And if, if he wants to get you there, he has to get your mouth to speak it first. I don't want you to receive from these ministers. I don't want you to be in amongst the fellowship of these Christians. I don't want you to have these friends. I don't want you to have the support of your family. Whatever it might be that he is, and he's going to get your mouth to engage in such a way that you don't have those things, and you'll speak it. Well, I can't stand this, and I don't like this, and I don't have any good neighbors, and I don't like my job, and my boss is lousy. We set this direction. And this is what he wants us to do. Don't let him set your direction. Let the Spirit set your direction. Did God put you in that job? If God puts you in that job, then you speak good things about it. I remember, you all remember, remember Jeff and Chris Hickson. And I still remember many of the things from the example of their lives when they were here. And just thoroughly enjoy the, the memory of, of the things that they left with us. But one of the things they said often is that any decision that their, their employer made, where they worked at, any decision they made will benefit the Hicksons. And, <laughs> They had a number of different examples where it didn't look like it was going to benefit the Hicksons. <laughs> they made a decision and it seemed like this is going to go against the Hicksons. And, and they just stayed with that confession and they kept that direction going. And pretty soon, yep, it benefited the Hicksons. And they could come out and they gave the testimony of how that thing had done so. How it didn't look like it in the beginning, but they kept the direction and they kept the, the focus in the right way. That's a, that's a thing we can learn and should learn. And this is what he's using these examples here for. We got one on land and one on sea. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. That's pretty strong language right there. (laughs) Now, when it says, see how great a forest, a little fire kindles, that word forest can mean exactly what it's translated, forest, or it could mean a stack of lumber. But either way, you get the the picture. That stack of lumber, that forest, didn't set itself on fire. Something came along and did it. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles. That little member of the tongue can create some terrible things. And the tongue is a, is a fire, a world of iniquity. Now you listen to some people and it's just, it's tough to listen to them. That's one reason I don't go out to a whole lot of movies. I don't like the language. It just disturbs me. It just, it, it bothers me on the inside. I'm not speaking it, but I hear it and I don't want to hear it. And so a lot of times if there's a popular movie that's out, I wait until they put it on TV because they usually clean up the language. I can wait. I'm not in a hurry. And a lot of times why I 
I end up falling on, on just a, a couple of different channels because I can trust there's not going to be any of the, the language. And it's not like I'm, I'm even thinking that, well, if I hear that, I'll start speaking it. I don't speak that language. In fact, I have a bigger list of what I consider to be cuss words than most people I know. I don't think anybody's got the list that I have. I'll stay away from them. I don't say them. I won't suggest them to people so that they think them and they know what, I just don't think along those lines. I don't, I don't want them. I don't think that just because I hear them, I might start saying them. I just don't want to hear them because it disturbs me on the inside. And I, I, I hear people and the way they talk and I'm thinking, boy, you live around that. That's what's going on in, in you all day long. Boy, that's gotta be tough. I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to live in that. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. The entire body can be defiled by what the one tongue does. Now you think about this in other areas. If you get your hand dirty, does that make the rest of your body dirty? It doesn't. You just go out there and you wash your hand up. And that's all you got to do. If you get your hair dirty, well, it doesn't make the rest of your body dirty. It's just your hair. You go out and you wash your hair up. But your tongue... When it does, it makes the whole body this way. Because it takes the entire body in this direction. And sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. Now he, of course, is talking about the kingdom of Satan. That these are the ones that come and they're trying to set that fire and to try and get this direction to go. So there's great destruction that can come because of your tongue. The tongue can produce great good or it can produce great evil. You can come in and you can, bl- you can bless somebody's life by coming in and saying good things and beneficial things and nice things or you can come in there and tear them down. And you may not even be mad at them. You may be mad at somebody else. But because of that anger, because of that whatever had gone on, you take it out on them. And we shouldn't do that. Aren't you glad that Jesus was in our ex- example for us? Not one time did he take it out to the disciples because he had a bad day with the Pharisees. He didn't come in there and start yelling at Peter and then have to say, Peter, I apologize. I'm just mad at what those Pharisees were saying or doing in the meeting today. I'm taking it out. And he didn't say that because he didn't let it affect him that way. If he didn't let it affect him that way, it doesn't have to affect us. I put in your outline this. Splits occur in families, churches, businesses, etc. as a result of words spoken more than actions performed. That's actually something I took right out of the notes from back in 05 when we were on this. Splits occur in families, churches, businesses, etc. as a result of words spoken more than actions performed. Now, actions can also do it, but you'll find more often that the words that we speak have done it. In Psalms chapter 57, verse 4, My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. It's kind of saying the same kind of thing as James is saying. Proverbs 16. I'm looking at 27 and 28 first. An ungodly man digs up evil. And it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife. And a whisperer separates the best of friends. That's again the things with the mouth. A whisperer coming in and just kind of saying things. Well, you know what so-and-so said. You know what so-and-so thinks. And they begin to sow these things in there making you think things about somebody else. A perverse man sows strife. You get somebody who comes in and starts sowing some things. That's, that ends up with bringing in strife, you don't have to wonder, that's a perverse person. Which means I shouldn't be involved in anything that stirs up strife. Some people, this is what they do. They make it their business to go around, find out all the dirt they can, present it in the most unpresentable way to make the people that they want look bad, look as bad as possible. And it's like, it didn't even happen that way. I've heard some people do this, and I'm thinking, that didn't even happen the way that you said it. But you're saying it this way, and if people listen to it and believe it, well, then they begin to let all that settle inside, and pretty soon, people who were friends are no longer friends. An ungodly man, it says, digs up evil. They're not 
content to just find it. They got to go dig it up. I think there's some evil over here. I'm going to go dig in your history and find out some things. You don't need to be doing it. Proverbs 6.16, you're all familiar with these. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, I wrote this down. You can write this down if you want to. Of the seven things that are listed here, three are about the tongue. Of the seven, almost half of them are about the tongue. Three of them are about the tongue. Two are about the heart attitude and two are about the feet and hands. So basically it's this. Things we say, things we think, and things we do. There are seven things that God hates. Three of them involve the tongue. A false witness who speaks lies, one who sows discord among the brethren, and a lying tongue. Now the six things are things that he hates, but the seventh, you add that in there, that's an abomination. Don't be going out there sowing discord among the brethren. That's, that's not good. Even if you know some, something that's not so good, you shouldn't be going around there sp- speaking it out. Because very likely, your understanding of it is not complete. I wrote this in your outline, I believe. When your tongue gets together with your flesh, when your tongue gets together with your flesh, your emotions, or stirred up by hell, tremendous damage will result. I put it in there, stirred up by hell, because that's how James put it. I would say more stirred up by Satan or the devil or his kingdom. When your tongue gets together with your flesh, your emotions or stirred up by hell, tremendous damage will result. But when it gets together with your reborn spirit, tremendous blessings occur. So it seems like, it seems like you got two extremes. Tremendous blessings or tremendous damage. And we get to choose, we get to choose which one. James 3 verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now this word tamed here is the Greek word damazo. It means to subdue or subdued, curb, or restrain. The only other place that you see this is in Mark chapter 5. Beginning to read with verse 2. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. No one could restrain him. No one could bring him to a place of... Uh, you see, we're not trying to tame him like a wild animal that we, we think that. We're trying to get this person to a place where uh, he's not going around creating damage the way that he was. But he just was going around creating great damage wherever he was. And so they tried to restrain him even and even that wouldn't work. No one could tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with with stones. Well, he says, no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. Now, you think of things that are full of deadly poison and you have to wonder, why does anybody want them? I know that there are people who keep scorpions. Now, you know, a scorpion is not nearly as deadly as they think. There's only, I think, a few that can actually kill you. Most of them just make you hurt or might be able to make you sick some, but for the most part, most scorpions, if you see one, you get stung with one, you're not going to die. Um, well, we have a fear of them because they look creepy. <laughs> I think it's a whole lot of it. They just look creepy. We don't, we don't necessarily like that. But there are people who keep scorpions as pets. 
Now, there's no way you're going to tell me that scorpion has ever been going to become affectionate to you. But they keep them as, as pets. I know there's some lizards that have uh, some poison in them and some people want to keep them as pets. And of course, there's some snakes out there and they're venomous, not poisonous, but they're, they're venomous. And people want to keep them as pets. There's some toads that have poison on their skin. And people want to keep them as, as pets. Uh, there's some fish out there that people want to keep as pets. Uh, most, most notably is the lionfish. Anybody know what a lionfish looks like? You see it in all the TV shows. If you ever see a saltwater tank in a TV show, more often than not, there's a lionfish in there. Because first off, they're big, they're spectacular in their, their finnage and the spikes that they have. Um, they're very bold. They're always out there in the, in the front. Not as colorful as some other, other saltwater fish, but generally you're always going to see them. They're, they're out there. And if those spines touch you, um, I don't know, I don't think they can kill you, but they can sure put a hurt on. They, uh, I've never wanted a lionfish in my tank. Just never had any desire. But down in Florida, there's a lot of people who had them and then they released them because they got tired of them. And so Florida has a problem with the lionfish going around. They have no predator and they're going around eating up some of the other things. And, and so, uh, they encourage people, if you're out there and you see lionfish, kill them. <laughs> Take them out. <laughs> Jellyfish, of course, we know about them. They have some some great poison, uh, but they're spectacularly beautiful to look at. But uh, some great poison that is in there. Doesn't matter how beautiful a thing is, if it can hurt you. Now, a lot of times, poisonous things have a lot of color. They uh, either they're they're trying to alert the fact that I can hurt you. <laughs> Stay away. I'm not sure what the what all that is, but sometimes that color is what draws people to them, and so they want to have them as pets and uh, have them in, in things. Rick Renner used to talk about the snakes that he would keep, and he was a big, big guy on snakes, and he had some nasty ones. So he had some that his roommate moved out because his roommate was afraid to be in there because of this snake that was in there, and there was a reticulated python. And I don't know a whole lot about a reticulated python, but from what he described and the battle that they went through in the room... When it got out of the cage. <laughs> if you've never heard Rick Renner describe the battle he had with his reticulated python, who was named, he got it for free, I believe, because the owner didn't want it anymore. And its name was Lucifer. <laughs> that should tell you something. He didn't name it Lucifer. It was named that. And he just kind of wanted to get in there and try and tame it, but was not able to do so. People think, well, I can kind of tame this. You cannot tame the tongue. And you listen to this and you think, well, what hope is there? If the tongue can cause all this damage and I can't tame it, what good is any of this going to do for me? How am I going to be able to help myself? No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, just because a thing has poison doesn't mean it has to hurt you, but it can. I think... um, I don't know if everybody's aware of this. Most people probably are by now. But the most poisonous spider that people come in contact with on a regular basis is a daddy long leg. Most people don't realize they're as venomous as they are, but they have, a, they have enough poison inside them to kill you. The problem is daddy long leg doesn't have the fangs needed to penetrate your skin. So the poison that's in the daddy long leg cannot get inside of you. You can hold them in your hand. And even though that thing is full of poison, it cannot get to you because his fangs just aren't able to, to do that. Now, if you're able to extract the poison and administer it another way, then you can, you can do some damage. But daddy long legs are good to have around the house. Make sure you have some. Go out there and get a couple. Bring some, go out to the pet store and get some, buy some. <laughs> they eat all the bugs that you don't want to have. <laughs> I tell that to people and most people don't care. They, they want them destroyed. They want them out of their house. They went on to be gone, but um, they actually can be a be a good thing. So even though the the tongue is full of poison, can be full of poison, we can't be tamed. We can um, fortunately go on reading the rest of Scripture and find out what we are to do. Now, as I said, that word for tame is only used in James and here in in Mark chapter five. But I wrote this out for you. I want to make sure you got it. The feelings of fear. 
will not harm you. The feelings of fear will not harm you. It's, a, it's the effects of fear that will. Sometimes we think about fear and well fear is going to destroy my faith. Fear this, fear that. The feelings of fear will not harm you. It's the effects of fear that will. The enemy has deluded us. I know there's more on that. We'll, uh, the enemy has deluded us to be almost fearful of fear. And we have to eradicate it. And if I become fearful of something, if I feel like I have fear towards the thing, then I'm not in faith. And that's not right. It is not the feelings of fear that are our problem. It is the effects of fear. It's when I allow the feelings of fear to change my actions or empower my words. Now we have something that can change things. So the feelings of fear will not harm you. It's the effects of fear that will as that changes your words. Just because I feel fear about a thing doesn't mean I'm not in faith. It means something has come up and I'm not sure what to do about this thing. I'm not sure where to to go out with this whole this whole deal. I've got feelings of fear, but I'm not paralyzed. Most people that become heroes in whatever field that they're in, whether they would be soldiers or whether they would be um, um, rescue workers or uh, uh, first responders, whatever it might be, most of those people who responded and are looked at as heroes are not people who didn't feel any fear. They were people who weren't paralyzed by it. There were people who didn't hinder their actions based on that, and they they didn't speak in those particular ways. If you um, if you watch a firefighter, you know sometimes in some of the movies we see the firefighters, and I'm sure going into a burning building can produce fear inside of those guys, even though they've done it a few times. But it doesn't stop them from going out there and doing it. And every time I've ever watched a movie <laughs> with a firefighter in it, or you know, they're talking about the, the things. They're, they're not speaking, oh, I think if I go in there, I'm going to die. They don't speak like that. When the captain says, we need to go in there, second floor, and get, there's a there's a victim in there. Yes, captain. <laughs> and they just go on to do it. It doesn't matter that they have feelings of fear. It doesn't bottle them up. It doesn't paralyze them. They get going. And they, they do things. Peter became paralyzed with fear when Jesus was taken. And it produced in him wrong actions, and wrong words. And the effects of fear is what caused him to uh, to come down from that. I've heard it, um, it mentioned before, when you're looking at David and Goliath. I'm sure we've all exhausted, exhausted David and Goliath in the, in the story before. But um, in the story of David and Goliath, do you remember how many days Goliath was coming out and talking to the people of Israel? It was 40 days. If you go through the Word of God, you will see that most times that a person was tested, it was tested for 40 days. And then at the end of the 40 days, uh, there, was a, there was a change. Jesus was tested for 40 days. Who was tested for 40 days during the battle with Goliath? Does anyone jump to, jump to a conclusion? Jump to, jump to your mind. Who was tempted? Who was the, the one being tested for 40 days? It would be Saul. Every day that the Goliath came out, he's looking for a champion. Who do you think he wants? He wants the king. He wants their best fighter, who should be Saul. And Saul stayed hidden. And Saul didn't come. On the 40th day, David came in. So God gave him 40 days to respond and Saul didn't respond. Saul didn't come out. But on the 40th day, David was dispatched. How many days did it take David? One day. First day he's there, he heard it. I'm I'm on this. (laughs) I'm on this. He's ready to go. You see, because for Saul, the fear caused him to not have the actions. And the men 
that were around there, they spoke certain words. They spoke words of fear. But David came on and his words were different. I'm sure he could have experienced the feelings of fear, but he didn't experience the effects. God wants people who are not separated from the feelings of fear, but they're separated from the effects. And fear does not come up and empower your tongue. And that's what can happen. Mary had favor in her life, and that brought her a great blessing, didn't it? But fear came with the blessing. She was afraid of what would this would do to her life. How is this thing going to be? How are people going to respond to this? Fear could have changed her words. Can you think of any scenario in which Mary, in her day, could have been told, you're, you're pregnant, out of, out of marriage, this, this, this could be very, very detrimental. She knows people maybe have gone through this and the terrible things that have brought on their life. They could bring about fear. She's not without feeling the fear, but she stayed away from the effects and her words were not empowered by the fear. She allowed her words to be empowered by the faith. So the, her life brought about favor. That favor brought about a blessing. But fear could have changed her words and driven that blessing away from her. Saul lost what came to him because fear motivated his words. Fear motivated his actions. It motivated his actions at the sacrifice. It motivated his actions in the things that he said. It motivated his actions against David. It motivated his inaction against Goliath. Jeroboam did the same thing. He had a great blessing that was coming to him because of the favor that was found on him. God favored him and set him apart. But because of fear, he said with his mouth, now they will go back to David and kill me and my family. These are the kind of things that he's talking about us being careful of. Verse 9. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men. That kind of makes me think about, you know, those movies or those show, TV shows. You're not going to kiss your mama with that mouth now, are you? <laughs> I don't know who said that line or where it came from, but I remember the line. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So we... So when we say things against others, it is equal to saying things against God. That's what he's saying. Look at it again, verse 9. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Now your mind might be going to some of the same places my mind went to. How did Jesus get away with saying the things against the Pharisees that he did? How did Paul get away with saying the things against the false teachers that he did? And so, I'll throw this out to you and you can meditate on it. Put it in your your, uh, meditator and think on it. When Jesus spoke the harsh words against the Pharisees, when Jesus spoke harsh words against Peter, when Paul spoke harsh words against false teachers, when he spoke harsh words against Peter, when these harsh words came out, you keep on going with the list for, for others, it is when the ungodly character of the kingdom of Satan came out in these people that they spoke to. Jesus very very uh, adamantly with Peter, get behind me, Satan. And so the harsh words are meant for the evil of the kingdom of darkness that is coming out in them. And the words are spoken against that. You have the power to speak against evil all you want to. Just make sure you don't turn that evil into speaking against the people. This is the character of the enemy. The character of the enemy, the the enemy wants to do, he wants to defame your character. God wants to expose light when it is there and darkness when it is there. He wants to bring those that are in light into the light that people can see the light that is in them. He wants to bring people that are in darkness into the light that people can see the darkness that is in them. But he's never out to try and destroy the character of the people or just just to defame them. Just to, to mock them and put them down. That is always 100% kingdom of Satan. Don't, don't be taking that on. Don't be going after it. 
Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. God was exhorting Saul, why do you persecute me? When Saul said these, or did these things and said these things against God's servants, God said, you're doing it to me. He also said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do it to me. Verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh, forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Now, the folks in James' day were more tied into this than we are. Because they know that when I, uh, when they're going to build a town, when they're going to build a city, they have to build it around fresh water. If there's not a river, then there needs to be a spring. There needs to be a well. There needs to be some access to fresh water. Because if you cannot get access to fresh water, you die. You gotta, you gotta have that around. And so this is what they would do. They know that when they had a spring, when they had a well, that that well and that spring didn't suddenly turn brackish water, salt water, and then back to fresh. Whatever its source was, it always produced that particular type of, of water. If it was fresh water, it stayed fresh water. Now I'm sure that there are some things that can come in. I imagine if you have an earthquake in the right spot, you could cause uh, underground things to get mixed and what was fresh could become uh, salt water or, or brackish or, or mixed in there and that wouldn't be so good. But with the mouth, it shouldn't be the way that it is because it seems that sometimes we're tapped into the kingdom of darkness and we're spouting forth evil and causing destruction and other times we're tapped into the kingdom of light and we're bringing forth uh, goodness and blessings. And he says, folks, this, this ought not to be this way. We shouldn't have to be doing this. And that's got to recognize that there's, we have to recognize there's a problem in my life if I can go in the morning to speaking nasty, harsh things and then in the afternoon speaking great blessings. I, I shouldn't ought to be, I sure shouldn't be uh, content with that. So does the spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No. It does not. If it's a freshwater spring, it's going to bring forth fresh, fresh water. If it's not, it's going to bring forth the other kind. That's why down and over in Israel, you don't see too many new towns popping up around the Dead Sea in, in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, in the days earlier than that. Because that water around there was bad water. You couldn't drink that. So this town stayed away from there. And they went to places where they could find fresh springs, freshwater springs. Can a fig tree, my brethren... Bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Well, they can't. So out of the same mouth, there should not be blessing and cursing. What he is saying here is, if you are a mouth that produces blessing and cursing, one of those things is fake. If we saw an olive on a fig tree, we would pretty much assume that's an imposter. That, that olive does not belong in that fig tree. If I saw an, an apple tree and there was one orange on it, I would pretty much come to the conclusion without doing a whole lot of investigation, that's a fake. It does not belong there. Somebody stuck it on there, whatever it might be. But I'm pretty much going to come to that conclusion that it's a fake. Put this in your outline for you. We will produce after the nature we are attached to. We will produce after the nature we are attached to. If we wonder why the words that we declare with our mouth are not producing all the results that we want to see, it is very possibly because our source has not been cleaned up. We're still connected to the wrong source. And though with my mouth I am saying, be blessed, be filled, be warm, but I'm connected to the wrong source and I'm not loving these people the way that I can. Because I have the ability to take care of that, but I'm not doing it. He's telling you right there, you're connected to the wrong source. You're speaking out like you are a freshwater source, but you are not a freshwater source. He hasn't changed his topic. He's still going on with the same thing. If I am able to say different things, or I am 
my actions are not backing up the words that I speak, it would seem to indicate that one of the natures of my mouth is a lie. We need to fix that. Now, I don't just throw in the towel and say, well, I'm just going to give up. <laughs> no, get the source right. Now, the, um, the I put this in your outline for you. I think I wrote this in there. The surface or access point of the water is the tongue, but the source determines its value. So when you, when he, what he's talking about here, the words that you say with your mouth, that's the access point. When you've got a well, you've got a, a hole that's dug in the ground, you've got a bucket, you drop the well down into the, into the drop bucket down into the well, you pull up the water, that's the access point. The source, though, is elsewhere. But that's the access point. If you've got a spring that is bubbling up water, that's the access point. We're not, we don't have to get all the way down to the source to find out anything about the source because the access point is telling us everything we need to know. This is fresh water. This is water that will be beneficial. This is water that's helpful. Our tongue, if it goes from blessing to cursing, is a sign that we are wavering on our source. And what did James say about wavering? This is not a good place to be. Just as faith can waver when our source changes from faith, hearing God's word, to doubt, hearing other sources, our tongues do the same thing. When I waver in my faith, it's because first off, I hear God's word say, you are healed, you are whole, you are whatever it might be. I hear the promise from God, but then I hear the other source. And the other source says this, or my mind says this, or my friends say this, or other places say this. And I hear them. And this is why I waver. Because I listen to God. I'm in faith. Then I start listening to these other things. And other stuff goes on. And I fall into doubt. It's the same thing with with our tongue. Keep your tongue tied into the source. Because when I tie into the wrong source. And I speak these things out. I am bringing bad water into my life. I'm bringing cursing. And destruction. Instead of blessing. We don't need to be doing that sort of thing. That's not going to help us. Control of our tongue, which is direct in our life, can be gained by a couple, by three areas here. The control of our tongue, which is direct in our life, can be gained by, first off, the sensual emotions and circumstances. There are some people, if they feel it, they say it. If I see it happening around me, I speak it. Emotions and circumstances. Well, I'm not going to say what I don't feel. Well, you're not going to get much then. That is a sensual person. I only speak what I sense, what I sense, what I feel. That's the first way. That will take control of your tongue. May not take control of your tongue all day long, but it's going to take enough control of your tongue to bring about destruction and problems in your life. Here's the second one. Satan, by stirring up our flesh, James called it hell. Satan, by stirring up our flesh, he comes in there and he just starts stirring up that flesh. Did you see what they did? Did you see how they looked at you? Did you hear, did you hear what they said? Do you see what's going on? And he begins to get you to, to meditate on that and you begin to fume. And pretty soon you are so mad at that person and they have not even a clue what you're mad about. But he gets in there, he starts stirring it up. It's like the disciples when they went out on a nice clear night for a sail across the lake and then all of a sudden the winds got stirred up and mm, big storm, almost took them down. That's what he wants to try and do. He's going to try and stir up your flesh. And if you don't stand up to it, not going to help you. Here's the third one, God through our spirit. Our source is God. He will gain control of our tongue by our spirit that is in us. Now, there's a, there's a number of things where I, I, I've told you I've learned some of these things from. You will learn them in another way. But I can't explain to you what I learned from God the way that you will learn it. I can only explain to you what I learned from God the way he teaches it to me. And then you let God teach you in, in your particular way. 
But I learned some of these things with the with the tongue, just in the area of, of running. And you, you you know all know that when you hear me talk about running in the snow, the ice, the cold, the storms, the the tornadoes, whatever it is out there, you know that every single time that I talk about that, I talk about it with fire in my eyes. I talk about it with a love I can't wait to get out there and to, and and y'all and people who hear me say that think I'm nuts. And um, but I'm not put on any airs. I really can't wait to get out there and 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 wait to see when this thing is going on. I also like to go out when it's nice. But I I like to now that, that was not a learned that was not something I just you know came out and the being born and this is what I love to do. But I learned how to face the trials. I learned how to face the test and to go after them in a certain way. If I have to go through in a cross-country race and run in some of these conditions, then I better well take it on with a good attitude. And so I learned how to develop a good attitude. And the only way to do it was to accept that I'm going to like this. <laughs> and uh, for the beginning part, it was, it was pretty tough, especially back when I was going to college. We didn't have all the high-tech stuff. Our gloves were a pair of socks. That's it. You took socks, put them on your feet, put socks, put them on your hands. That was your gloves for going out there and running. All we had to, to go out and run with was cotton. We didn't have no fancy wool, any kind of shells, stuff like that. You had cotton t-shirt on, you had a cotton sweatshirt on, and then you put a cotton hoodie on top of that. And it was nasty. It was, I could describe it to you, but there's no bother, there's no sense in it. But you see, out of my mouth, Constantly, it doesn't matter who's around, what's around. If I see a condition, I my eyes light up. Oh, thunderstorms are coming in today. Oh, I hope they get here. And I begin to talk about, talk about that, talk about it to myself. I'm excited about it. But you see, this is how I had to learn it. I had to turn into a source. My source had to change on that because what my source was before was, I don't want to go out there when it's this way. I don't want to go out there in the cold. I don't want to go out there when, when uh, things are nasty. That's, a, that's not any fun. I remember one time I was in high school and uh, I was at work and a nasty thunderstorm was coming up. And uh, uh, there was, we had one car, I think, at the, at the time. I'm not sure if one car was in repair or whatever it was, but uh, anyway, my mom didn't have it. And so I called her up and said, are you able to come get me? And she said, no, I don't have the car. And this thing was, it was really, it was really brutal. I still remember that day. I don't know how many years ago it was. It was a lot of years. I was still in high school. I wasn't graduated. I was still in high school. So I was probably somewhere around 16. So how many years ago was that? That's a lot of decades ago. And I remember getting out there. I wasn't happy. I was, out of my mouth was not coming. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was not coming out of my mouth. It was like, how fast can I get home? I was running then, but how fast can I get home to beat this storm? I wanted to beat the storm. I had a couple of miles to get home, but I just I just wanted to beat the storm. Now, I think I'll wait here a little while waiting for this thing to get going. It's not really going all that much on right now. I'll, if I wait another half hour, I'll bet you will get real nasty out there and then we'll go. But, just, but see, it changes the source. This is what you have to do. you got to change the source. If you change the source, you will 100% have control of your mouth because I will guarantee you, you will never hear me say anything negative ever about going out and running in the cold, in the snow, in the ice, in the storms. I don't care what it is. You will never hear me negative. And I don't have to say that because I can control my mouth. It's because it's in me. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to get the nature of Him so much in us. I don't have to control this. I don't have to force those words down. They're not there. The cuss words, they aren't there. I don't use them because I suppress them. I don't use them because they aren't there. That's not how I communicate. I know some people, that's the only way they do communicate. I don't communicate that way. Never have. Never will. This is what he's, he's trying to get us to understand. Get this in you. Get this as your source. If your source is God, you won't ever have to try and suppress the things that are in your mouth. You won't have to try and suppress doubt and unbelief. You won't have to try and suppress thoughts of depression and anxiety and fear and worry and all the other things that can come out. You won't have to try and suppress them. They're not in you. It's just not there. 
How many of you would fall over backwards if you ever heard Jesse Duplantis come out and just be depressed? That's not in him. It's just, it's just not there. How many of you would fall over backwards if Brother Fred Price came out against faith? No, it's not in him. He's attached to something completely different. He doesn't have to suppress that. He doesn't have to fight down the thoughts of, uh, or the words of, of unbelief. Cause it's not in him. And this is where we need to get to. This is where God wants us to be. We are not controlled by the sensual, by the emotions and the circumstances. We are not able to be controlled by Satan and the stirring up of our flesh like Peter was. Even though Peter just got finished speaking some things that were great blessings. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then comes back and says, don't teach like this. He went back and forth. When we go through trials and we're not yielding the control of our flesh it helps us to attain control through God. When I go through these tests and these trials and I do not give up the control of my mouth, I am teaching myself how to be controlled by God. This is how we do it. Now, so does staying in faith and not wavering. When I'm given an opportunity to waver, I don't waver. I stay in faith. That's teaching me how to keep my tongue under the control of God and not under the control of these other things. Not yielding to external or visual things to give to give favor. If I resist that part of because of what I see on the outside of someone, I give this one favor. And because of what I see on the outside of someone, I give this one disfavor. If I operate in that way, I am not teaching myself to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And my tongue will say the wrong things. These are, these are all things that I need to do. And certainly, so does walking in faith that is alive instead of dead. If I have faith that is alive, that backs up what it says, that when I don't, don't just say, be warm and be filled, no, I go out, I'll say the declaration, I'll say prayers, but I also come in and say, here, have a coat. I got two. Here, have some food. Let's go out to the restaurant, let me feed you. I back it up. When we do that, and we walk in love, instead of just declaring something, but there's no substance there, then I'm teaching myself to walk in the control of the things of God. See, there's a progression in mind here. And if I want the results, i got to do the progression. There's a progression from chapter 1 into chapter 2. And then there's a progression from chapter 2 into chapter 3. And to get to this place where my words are, are under the control of the God that is in me, I can get there. But not if I bypass the things of chapter 1 and the things of chapter 2. Now all flows together. I want to be in that place where my words are under control of God, my God. I don't declare things. I may feel them. I may look, I may get that look from somebody. I may feel like they have rejected me. <laughs> but I'm not speaking them. I'm not looking for who, who can I tell about this? I'm not looking for, for somebody to speak these things to. Because I want my words to be under the control of my God. We don't ever see Jesus pulling the disciples around and saying, guys, did you see what the Pharisees did to me today? Do you think I was right in what I did? Do you think they were wrong? I just need to hear some other people tell me that I... No. He didn't do that. He knew in the Spirit what was going on. And see, so he, he didn't want to feed into his tongue being controlled by anything else. And that's why he would say, I don't know how many times he said this, but it was written a couple of times in Scripture, I speak what I hear my Father say, and I do what I see my Father do. That is a person whose tongue is controlled by the Spirit of God. And that's where we can be, and that's where we should be. As he says, we should not be given both fresh 
and salt water. We should not be giving both blessing and cursing. We ought not to be in that. Father, I thank you for your help in these matters that we can grow ourselves, that our conversation, the words that we speak back up who we declare we are. We don't have to try and suppress things because you have given us the ability to control our thoughts, what we meditate on. And if I can control the things that I think on and if I let them be empowered by the word, I will keep my words under the control of the Spirit of God. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.